at no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. We have lots of rational thoughts today, my friends. Yes, welcome to the Author Brand Show. This is your host, Doug Crow. If you like what you hear today, and you darn well better, click below, subscribe, check us out. On we've got a lot more shows. But of all the shows we've done, I got to tell you, it's it's very rare to get on somebody who is famous and uh, also a friend, because I only have a couple friends who are you know that cool. But this guy has won multiple Oscar nominations, over one billion dollar worldwide revenues. He's a film producer, best-selling author, 30 years of experience as a business strategist, attorney, sorry, record label founder, literary manager, and entrepreneur. He's produced things like, you know, films you've heard about, like Mothman, Prophecies, Under Siege, and a little romantic comedy called Pretty Woman. And he discovered he's nurtured, he's launched hugely successful careers for dozens of writers, filmmakers, in the highly competitive world of film and television. His book... Conquering Hollywood. You didn't think I had this up with you, right? Uh, Screen Matters Blueprint for Career Success. And he's got an eight-week master class and live coaching are just some of the ways he helps people learn to tell their stories uh, and tell them more powerfully and rapidly transform their talents into a career, whether it's inside or outside Hollywood. And his quote, his uh, moniker here is, uh, what drives his endless optimism, creativity, and desire to help is an abiding curiosity about people and a deep love of our shared humanity. So welcome to the show, visionary and all-around cool cat, my friend Gary Goldstein. How you doing? <laughs> Doug, I'm wonderful. How could I not be wonderful after an introduction like that? Hey, man, you wrote it. I mean, you're a writer. Of course, it's going to sound pretty good. It's okay. <laughs> I, yeah, the beautiful thing about being liberated and having zero memory is I don't remember what I've written, let alone what I've said. It's so funny. I was looking at some old content I written, haven't published. I'm like, that's a really good blog post. Like, oh, I wrote that. I forgot about that. I just got stores of stuff that I got to get out. But yes. So, Mr. Goldstein, wow, what a, what a career! And I, I was joked about the the attorney thing, of course, because we love all of our attorney jokes. But you, you were not one of the, you know, you don't want an ambulance chaser. You know, you no. you were a different kind of attorney. What did you? How would you tell me about your career when you started out as an attorney? We'll get to the movie stuff in a minute, but I want to know about the early Gary. You know, the young young Gary. Yeah, well, the early Gary was, was well, gosh, um, it all started when I was a child. I was very shy. Um, I went to UC Berkeley undergrad. The one thing I loved was music, and I, I thought I was going into the music business. I produced all the concerts for the Berkeley campus. But basically, you know, here you are. It's, it's you know, a different era. We didn't know the word entrepreneur, came out of college, had no idea. I was a lost soul, didn't know what to do. And after several years of bumbling around, decided that um, uh, I had this very romantic notion and some of my heroes were the great criminal defense lawyers defending free speech and others, other things. And I went to law school to become a criminal defense lawyer. So I did, and I did that. Um, actually, I was rejected from law school. Uh, it's a great story how I got in, but uh, I did that for several years and, and then realized it was just really a, a, a not a good marriage of temperament to career. It was a very harsh world, and I wanted to uh, flee. Yeah, I don't I see you as a criminal defense attorney. You know, yeah, saying you know, show me my, <laughs> say hello to my little friend. I mean, you'd be de defending the drug lords of L.A. I mean, that's just weird. Yeah, well, I I ran away to the circus. You know, I okay. I mean, I look, I always, 
when I was really young, I fell in love. I fell into books and, and, and music, but first books. And I just, that was it. That was my world. I was like the boy in the bubble. I love storytelling. And I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I didn't, I just didn't see myself as an adult making adult choices. I didn't know what to do. Um, so anyway, I pursued, I pursued the law, which actually is amazing background. I don't, I'm, I'm grateful not to be an attorney, but I love the background. Um, but I wanted to be in storytelling and, and the film industry, you know, telling big stories on the big screen just seemed like such a, would be such a rich, interesting life. Uh, so I went to LA and that's, you know, that's what got me down here. All right. Well, you know, obviously we, we have some, you know, beloved films you've done, but maybe you want to talk about the early ones before that. I don't know if you do or not. Yeah. You know, listen, when I got here, honestly, yeah. I knew not a stitch about the business. I came yeah. here as naive as the day is long and I didn't know anybody here. So I, I didn't know the business. I didn't know the city. Uh, and I, my first year in LA, actually, here's where my office was. My office was tennis courts and a swimming pool at an outdoor health club where it was always sunny because it's LA. Yeah. And I figured who would be at this kind of a place in the middle of a work week. And I just assumed they'd all be freelance creatives and I could network there and, uh, you know, find mentors and, and, and friends and, and learn about the business. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, so I would just ask everybody I met, like, you know, it's great to meet you. And what, what do you do? And they'd say, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a, a writer. Or I'm a whatever they were. And I would go, oh, my God, would you be my five minute mentor? And I ended up making a couple of hundred friends over the course of a year. But long story short, I made a decision. I, I'm, I'm not really a good, uh, you know, I don't see myself in a corporate environment. I'm, I'm more of a, a solopreneur, entrepreneurial kind of guy. And I thought I want to do my own thing. And I learned about management, which is different than agency, right? So I, being an attorney, I know how to represent people. And I thought, but I don't want to be an attorney, but I know how to represent people. Maybe I could represent young, up and coming, unknown, but talented writers and directors. And that was kind of my, you know, my, that would be my way to earn a living uh, learn the business and school myself. And, and so that's, that's the choice that I made. I just, you know, started up my own literary management company and signed a bunch of people as clients who pretty much had no resume. Um, and I used, the, you know, it took me a couple of three years of bruising my knee and, and, and tripping over myself to try and figure out how this business worked and meet a lot of people and learn how to read scripts and how did, you know, what did a writer's deal look like? How do I negotiate a writer's deal? All those things. There was a, a mountain that I had to climb to learn this stuff, but I was, I was very motivated and, and I, uh, you know, I had to do it, uh, partially just to survive because I didn't really have many, you know, much money in the way of savings. And if I didn't learn how to start having my, I, I earned based on commission. So if my clients weren't earning, I wasn't earning and that would be very unhappy. So I was very motivated and it, it took me a couple of two and a half, three years, and I finally built a business that actually turned out to be not only uh, rewarding, but very uh, well matched to me. I loved what I did. Uh, and I did that for the first, oh gosh, at least decade that I was in LA. That's how I got my start. I, I love the story that you've uh, you told me a few times um, on the how these 
you know, networking is such a powerful thing and people tend to overlook that in the social media marketing world. They're like, you know, systems and funnels and all the jazz, but you and our good friend Kent are like the top networkers that you like know everybody or better, better way. Everybody knows you. It's a key distinction there, right? It's like, wow. Yeah. Um, and I love the story of how the, um, some of these scripts came into your world. So you want to share how the, uh, the pretty woman script came into your, into your life? Yeah. I mean, that was a fun one. I, yeah. it was, I, I'm terrible with time as you may well know, but it was somewhere in the eighties, like maybe 84 or it, around there. And Apple had come out with, you know, those early computers that were like, they came in the, a box, the size of a refrigerator and you couldn't just plug them in because they didn't do anything. You had to have someone come program them, create what we now call software. And I knew a gal, a screenwriter who was writing scripts on, on one of these machines. And she, I said, who did that for you? And she referred me to this young, then 23 year old, uh, Jonathan, his name was JF Lawton. And he worked in my office for three weeks peppering me with questions, learning everything that I did, um, how I represented people, what kind of programs I would need to, you know, advance my business, et cetera. Anyway, he spent three, three weeks and he was kind of quiet, obviously brilliant. And at, sort of toward the end of the three weeks, he, he, he said something and I said, wait a minute, are you, um, I know you install computer systems and you beta test software and you do all these things at the bleeding edge of, of the, <clears throat> of, of, uh, certainly back then. Um, but are you, did you go to film school? Are you a writer? There's something he said that made me think he, he was a writer and he confessed that he had dropped out of film school, that he was a writer, that he'd written seven scripts that were sitting in a stack in his one room studio apartment in Hollywood that no one had ever read. And I said, well, gosh, you know, you're a really good guy. Why don't you let me read something that you've read? And if I like it, I'll help you get an agent. And long story short, I read one. And I said, this is actually pretty good. Uh, do you have anything else? He gave me another. I read the second one, same thing, a third one. And after three scripts, um, even though they were sort of quirky college scripts, I said, you're really talented. Um, let's forget the idea of an agent. I want to work with you. But I want to work with you. I have a condition. And the condition is I need a new mature uh, spec. I want you to write a script on spec. And I'd like it to be a romance. But I want it to be, you know, like set it in a shoebox, set it in like so we could make it for almost no money if we had to. And then if we get lucky and we do well and the script gets attention and we get a bigger budget, yes, then we can, you know, cast it up and have more production value. But anyway, that's that was sort of the deal. And he was he said, yes, absolutely. And he went away and he came back. It wasn't even three months later with uh, a first draft called of a script called 3000 which if you've seen the film Pretty Woman, the amount of money that Edward pays Vivian for her companionship for the week. And it was not a comedy. It was a, it was a, um, uh, it was a tragedy uh, in the sense that boy and girl don't end up together. She's, you know, he drops her off on the curb, money fluttering through the air as he drives off to fly back to New York. Um, and, and, and so that, but that's how that's, the script came into my hand just because I had bought, and it sat in the corner of my office for several months, this computer. And the one person who could help me with that turns out to be this amazing writer. 
So you never, you just never know where you're going to be. It's great. And then, so it was a, not, it wasn't a comedy, right? It was written. You said it was kind of dark. And then you, well, you I mean, yeah, people always, that's kind of urban legend. You know, it was dark. Well, yeah. I mean, it was dark in the sense that, that he's an investment banker. She's a working girl. Mm -hmm. They do not end up boyfriend and girlfriend in love yeah. at the end. Uh, so, you know, it was a more, dare I say, realistic uh, <laughs> picture uh, and, and not sort of the fairy tale. Yeah. Um, but you know what, Doug, it's interesting. There was an article not long ago published and they, they, they touched on something that I've always thought was true. And it's never been, no one's ever actually written this. And it's fascinating because the original was an edgier, more realistic, if you want to call it dark, fine. Yeah. It was a tragedy, not a comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and, and there, there were a little bit of, there were edges to it. So uh, in that process uh, of, of, of transforming it into a comedy, when I, you know, it was an independent film, it was always intended to be a little indie film. Mm -hmm. When I got it to Disney as a writing sample, never thinking that a, a picture about a working girl would be, would fit with the, right. in the same yeah. sentence as Disney. Um, and I told them, I sent it to them, I said, it's not for you. It's not even available. I've already optioned it. You, you can't have it but it's the writing is so good. You're going to want to work with the writer. That's how that started. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, uh, but when, you know, when, when we, when we transformed it into a comedy because Disney wanted to pick it up and they wanted to lighten the tone, um, we were such a small budgeted picture for a big studio at that time yeah. that we were kind of under the radar, mm -hmm. uh, but also we were in a rush to get into production for reasons that, are boring, but we were. Yeah. And um, the the thing that's interesting is that we were known as that little film in trouble because we started as a darker picture, a tragedy. Yeah. We were going to a comedy and we were trying to rush through this to try and find the tone, the the, the center of gravity created mm -hmm. as we're rushing into production. And wow. we had as our director, Gary Marshall, who is just one of the most brilliant men who's ever walked the earth. Yep. Also, probably the nicest human being who's ever walked the earth. Wow. And, but he was also known as like, this was like the guy who invented modern comedy. Yeah. Um, between all of his TV series and all of his movies, he was, yep. he was just a genius. Mm -hmm. Effortless. So he had this sort of, you know, like almost like grass hanging out of his mouth manner. It's like, <laughs> but, but he was always looking for that moment that would touch the human heart and he mm -hmm. knew how to do it. So part of his process was a lot of improv. Uh, so we would we would do it. We always did a take or two as scripted of every yeah. scene. But then yeah. it was like, OK, unfettered, mm -hmm. uh, you know, take off the gloves, improv to your heart's content. Let's just see what happens. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had this reputation of, you know, so this journalist who wrote this article recently talked about the mm -hmm. messy development. Right. It was rapid. It was messy. Um, he said, but, you know, what? His thesis was Pretty Woman is the best romantic comedy in the entire history of Disney. And it may be one of the best of all time. And the reason he felt is because it retained enough of that realism from the original uh. script. It was anchored or grounded in some very human sense. Yep. It was recognizable. Yep. And yet we had the levity and the playfulness yeah. and the comedy but it wasn't that over the top 100% fairy tale. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And somewhere in that midsection, in that messy midsection, our film touches a chord that may feel mm. a tad more, I, I don't want to say realistic, uh, but, but, but it, 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 it affects us in, in, a, in, in a slightly different way. Yeah, when we can, when we can get um, things or ideas or concepts in our real world and then transpose them into something like meeting a billionaire, you know, I think it makes us feel, oh, that, that could have been me, that's it, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and and the fact that they, you know, like her background keeps coming up and they have friction around that. And, yeah. you know, there's all those elements in there. Um, and yet she's the moral superior and she heals him and she has a best friend that she's trying to help and she wants to go back to school and all. So there's all these sort of like little mini anchors in it. It's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. So um, a last piece on this and we'll move on to some other things. But the um, you talked about, you know, you know, the, the small film in trouble and, you know, casting it up and whatnot. Um, before Disney got interested, you said you optioned somewhere else. And then was it just um, were there any stars at that point? Was it just going to be independently done? And then. How did it go from where it was to getting, you know, stars right. in there? What happened was, you know, look, I was relatively unknown. Uh -huh. uh, and my client, my writer client who wrote it was even less known. Yeah. Uh, so I figured I had to make a bit of a, I had to find a way to create some buzz, some noise, some grab some attention in the world. Yeah. So I submit, I, I sent the script over to a woman that I'd befriended, Michelle, Michelle Satter. She sat at the right hand of Robert Redford, helped him build everything that was the Sundance Institute first and later wow. the Sundance Film Festival. Mm -hmm. Very brilliant woman, lovely woman. So I sent her the script and I said, Michelle, please read this. It's a new young writer. I think you're going to really admire the craft. Mm -hmm. She wrote, she came back and she said, oh my God, this is absolutely a yes. They are renowned for Sundance. The Institute is renowned for all these very high level uh, workshops and labs, and they've got dozens of them, uh, from playwriting to writing to producing, you name it, and mm -hmm. directing. And they invited us to be one of a limited number. I don't know the number, Doug. It was like eight or 10 or maybe 12. I don't know. Projects that get invited once a year uh -huh. to a production lab where you workshop it, where you have real A-level actors who get in front of the camera. You're, oh, you've cool. Got You've got A-level people who are there just to support because they love the creative process for free. So I have the, Paul Hirsch, the editor of all the Star Wars, 50 films like Star Wars, yeah. award-winning, like um, he's a god in the business. And this yeah. man, and I still have my training wheels on, yeah. and he's whispering creative notes in my ear, and I'm like, I think I've died and gone to heaven. Wow. So we spent 10 days up there or so mm -hmm. at this production workshop. But the Hollywood trade papers all picked it up and they publish who and what. Ah, so okay. suddenly uh, the phone started to ring. Yeah, right. Um, long story short, I optioned it to a company called Vestron, which was one of the big, robust indies back in the uh, 70s and 80s. And, uh -huh. and, 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 you know, they brought us films like Dirty Dancing and, you know, very, very good films. And, mm -hmm. uh, but they couldn't quite get it cast or financed. Um, that during which time I was invited by some friends that produced a, uh, an indie uh, a wonderful film that a lot of people will know called Mystic Pizza. And yeah. in that ensemble cast was this young gal. When the lights came up at the screening, I said, I have no criticism. Don't change a thing. The picture is great. But who's yeah. that girl? I need That's her. right. Yeah. 
she's uh, she's a character in a film I'm developing. She's Vivian, yeah. and, the, and they yeah. said okay, yeah. and they kindly introduced me to Julia Roberts and her then rep uh, agent or manager, I forget, and she attached to it. Now she was an unknown. Yeah, right. Because it, uh, Mystic was the first film, and she later shot, but. Um, uh, a film for which she got an Oscar nomination. It was called Steel Magnolias, but that hadn't yet been released by the time we were. Uh, we we're oh, still casting and, and going into production on on our film before that film came out. So America didn't know her. The Hollywood uh, chieftains didn't know her. Whatever. Nice. So she was attached for three years, during which time Vestron announced it was going into bankruptcy. So I got it in turnaround. I then. Uh, re-optioned it to another indie called New Regency. Uh, similar experience, we kind of got in the doldrums. They couldn't quite get it financed, couldn't yeah. quite get it cast. Richard Gere had turned it down at Vestron. I tried him again when it was at uh, New Regency, and he, he said no again. Yeah. And um, But when we got to Disney, um, the magic happened because, you know, up until then, let's face it, I I didn't have a lot of clout. I didn't have a big studio. I didn't have deep, yeah. a, a, a big checkbook. And I, I didn't have a major director like Gary Marshall. Mm -hmm. uh, and we inherited him. That wasn't my brilliance. I was just like, oh, my God. I knew who I wanted in front of the camera. Right, right. But when we got Gary Marshall, that was wow. like, like, you know, God kiss on cheek. Yeah. And um, anyway, so, you know, by the time we got there, Richard still wasn't in enthused, but there was one agent over there, Andrea Eastman at ICM, who had been with uh -huh. forever, and she banged her shoe on the table and said, Richard, you just stop it. You got to <laughs> say yeah. So he did, ultimately. I love it. Because we now were a grown-up at a studio, and he said yes, and once we had him, um, the studio, the studio Disney was still casting like a fiend. They had made multiple offers to actors, actresses. They were screen testing or auditioning everybody in the world. Michelle Pfeiffer, Molly Ringwald, Daryl Hannah, uh, Diane Lane. I mean, if you, anyone who was a name back then yeah. was coming in, many offers were made. Same with the guy. It was Al Pacino. It was, uh, oh God, I, I, uh, I think it was Bruce. I mean, there were like a list of yeah. all the names, male and female, some of them were made actual offers. And, you know, what can you say? Thank you, God. Uh, yeah. They actually declined the offer for a variety of different reasons. And right. so those roles were remained uncast. When Richard came on, that was like a done deal. Okay, great. We, yeah. Now we got our anchor tenant. And that's when, um, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I advocated for Julia... Uh, not just to be met, but to do a screen test, because I knew yeah. if you got her on camera with Richard, yeah. she's got it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. You know, it was it um, when Gary Marshall met her, he kind of, you know, he saw he saw it. Right. He's, yep. And then then with, when he says, you know, Gary Marshall had a much bigger voice than I had at the time, of course. Yeah. So when he says to the studio, I'm going to screen test these two. It gets mm -hmm. done and they burned up the film. It was so amazing. Great. And the rest is the rest. Wow. What a, what a fascinating story. Um, in terms of people, you know, in the in our industry, right? And storytelling, right? I do books. 
Yeah. And uh, I think out of everybody I talk to, I talk to, you know, hundreds of people a year and half of them say, oh, my story should be a movie. You know, I'm like, have you been to the movies lately? I, mean, <laughs> I just go, if it's not the Transformer script, it doesn't work. But you bring up Sundance, Netflix, there is, it feels like there's a new, a new era of places where you can actually tell good stories again. You, you, you're spot on, Doug. I yeah. mean, it's, you know, there was a long valley because uh, back then there were, you know, back in, when I started in the 80s, there were, I don't know, at least two dozen, maybe more, 30 independent companies that, yeah. you know, so you could you could make it at the indie level. You could make it at the studio level. If you failed here, you could go there or vice versa. Yeah. Right. Um, and there was a lot of diversity of story. It was all original mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. We, we, we weren't in the business of, you know, having books and comic books and video games and sequels right. and Right. It was original material, very diverse storytelling, and the budgets were this big compared to this big. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the mark, you know, I mean, it got to the point where the opening weekend marketing budget was the size of my entire budget years ago. So it's it. Yeah. And, but what happened was those those indie companies all went away. They went away because the studios acquired them for their library value, or mm -hmm. they went bankrupt or something. But then there yeah. was nothing. It was silent. Years, yeah, it was horrible. And then you had six studios basically making hundred million dollar stars with a 20 million dollar yep. star on top of that mm -hmm. pre-marketed material for lack of a better yeah. phrase and it got you know it got lonely when if you were a storyteller who didn't want to make tron or whatever, yeah you know what did you call it the transformers transformers you know i'm trying to yeah. think of because you yeah. know it, okay you know it's or or no disrespect to people who created it but it's it's a it's not a storytelling. It's just a, it's a business. It's just a machine to make money. And really, it's, you know. Well, listen, yeah, and there are audiences for everything, thank God. But, you know, right. as a producer, as a storyteller, like I wouldn't, I, it, and it's not that I'm a snob. It's just not my kind of story. So I don't really yeah. go, I, I, as an audience, a consumer, I don't really go to see those films. And I certainly don't know how to, or want to produce them. So for people, and there are a lot of people like me, mm -hmm. um, we were sort of left with, gosh, is there even a seat at this table? Does it, this, yeah. And now with the streamers, I know the the we've never seen the the um, certainly not the quantity of product, both series and feature film, being mm -hmm. funded and made. And it you know yeah. when they started, it was mostly acquisitions. Now it's mostly originals. Uh, right, right. So yeah. there there's just an inordinate appetite for content of all stripes, even mm -hmm. limited series and documentaries and formats that were yep. previously un unknown to us. Right. Uh, so that's that's really exciting. So in my view, streamers have kind of are the modern day replacement for what mm. was the independent film community back right. then. Right. By a factor of 100, too. There's so many oh. more and venues and, and, and places to go. It's like, wow, you can actually you can actually make a movie now. But, you know, a few years yeah. ago, I'd say, don't bother. Just, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, you had to go to friends and family or credit cards or, you know, yeah. whatever. But now there's there's already 30 vibrant vital streaming platforms i mean we all talk about net network net, uh, netflix and apple and amazon and you know hulu and but there's there's 30 of them and they all want different things and they all have diverse you know when you're a, when you're facing not advertising dollars but subscriber fees big difference, big difference. Uh, now you've got a very very globally diverse uh, set of appetite mm -hmm. feed and they got to make all kinds of content Right. So it's a different it's a different deal. And um, 
you know, I, I mean, I, I see the positive. I know there's some people who say, yeah, but it's also uh, there's a downside to it. And but but I think I, I like you think it's a renaissance in terms of just yeah. the sheer volume of opportunity. Yeah, I, I think so. And to that end, I want to talk about your business now, because you're not you're no longer producing Hollywood blockbusters, I don't think. Right. Uh, well, I may, well, we'll may see to be determined, but you know what it's, okay. I would, let me put it this way. I would no longer have a business, uh, with a full staff devoted yeah. to larger, but budgeted mm -hmm. studio fare. I don't right. think that's a good model right now. Yeah. So the slate that I am now doing, and, and for, and there was a period of years where I was on hiatus doing other stuff. Right. Yeah. That's where I'm now that the business has cycled back. <laughs> uh huh. Um, I'm developing, um, you know, I have like one TV series project, but mostly, you know, feature films. And of the feature films, there's only one that's like this epic, historic, yeah. big budget uh, thing. And and I am absolutely uh, crazy about this this story. Good. Uh, and it's all based on a true story. It's like you couldn't make this stuff up. It's so great. Uh -huh. uh, and I think there's a really deeply important set of themes to it. And I think a global audience for it. So we'll see. It's not easy yeah. today to get a big, big budgeted film made, but I'm going to do my damnedest. And beyond that, the films I would say are a little bit more, um, oh gosh, a, a little bit contained either because they can shoot in a location where I can get subsidies and I can pare the budget down yeah. uh, or the budget itself is, it's, it's just a more contained film. Yeah. Um, I'm telling, but I'm telling the kinds of stories that I want to tell, whether it's magical realism or just a performance-based drama mm -hmm. uh, or, or sort of an epic thing that tugs at the, you know, sort of brave heart, but not in the middle ages. You know, it's like it's a, mo it's a more modern story. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so they're diverse and they're very different from one another, but most of them are not what I would call big budget films. Okay. So um, if someone's watching this and they've got an important story to tell, maybe it's their story or something they've written, um, you know, can you sum up what they, I mean, what they, what they can do to further their, even not the career or their story onto the big screen or even a small screen for that matter? <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, listen, if they've got a great story, I mean, I look, I, I admire what you do. I think the business that you're in is really great because number one, one of the best stepping stones to, uh, whether it's film or TV and whether it's independent or studio, it doesn't matter or streamer, uh, is, is 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 to you know if you if you can get a book written mm -hmm. that gives you some marketplace credibility and some industry credibility right because we're all right. looking to uh, have something that's that's affirmed meaning it's mm -hmm. published and maybe even you've got a good audience or you've got right. traction what we call a platform in publishing which is yeah. you know you've got an, a built-in audience or a growing audience yeah. that will follow your work be that as it may i think a book is always a good thing but mm -hmm. I think that that what I would what I would counsel uh, people is, you know, if you really think you have a great story, number one, do something about it. Don't just say you've got a great story. Yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, start writing it down, even if it's not in a manuscript, if it's mm -hmm. not just like get it down on paper so that Absolutely. you now are you're you've 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 got you've got some heft there and you can actually share that and talk about it more and tell because it makes you think it through like what parts of the story are really important what aren't right yeah um, that's number one number two look in the marketplace look at what has not 20 years ago or 15 years ago or 10 years mm -hmm. ago but the last few years 
yeah. more yeah. kinds of stories that are that share some kind of kinship with yours. Mm. They're in the same genre, whatever that might be. Mm. What are this? And I don't care if it's small screen, big screen, TV, film, doesn't matter. What are the stories that have gotten out there that have been hopefully commercial, commercially and critically successful, but that have had some uh, footprint in the marketplace that's respectable? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I just research. I do this myself. If I have a project, I look, who are the people who made it from yes. the director to the producer, mm -hmm. to the writer, to the cinematographer, to the casting director? I, I make a list of everybody because... Mm -hmm. Um, you don't, you know, you don't need to start by saying, oh, I've got the best story in the world and an agent should uh, represent yeah. me. A producer yeah. should spend the next several years of their life creating value and producing it for free for me. No, you know, like reach out, dare to be a human being, pick up the phone and call, you know, uh, the writer or the cast mm -hmm. and say, hey, I've got to, you know, would you be my three minute mentor? Or if yeah. you were me, what would you do? And share mm -hmm. just enough about your humanity that it's not like assaulting them, saying, do me a favor, I'm a total stranger. Like, you know, pretend. This is, this is the most valuable advice that people just need to hear and repeat. And you should like write this stuff down, folks, because all the mm -hmm. marketing and this 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 um, barrier between people, whether it's a Zoom call or an email, like pick up the phone and talk to a human being. I love that. Yeah, so there's nothing. There's nothing that shortens the distance more quickly uh, and shaves years of frustration out of your life than daring to get out of your comfort zone and pick up the phone. And, and you know, they're not hard to find. I mean, between LinkedIn and Google and, you know, it's like it's mm -hmm. not a mystery. Right. So find these people um, and don't think that you need to knock on the door of uh, Mr. Spielberg or Mr. James Cameron or Mr. Whatever, Miss Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you don't need the top name on the door. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the mistake, you know, like, oh, I'm so into. No, you pick up the phone, you call the office. Yeah. Who do you want to talk to? You want to talk to the person that answers the phone. I don't care who that is. I, you know, it's like the dramatic, dramatic pause here, folks. Mike this Rob. is one thing I've learned. I've learned from your book and your course. Who do you want to talk to? Repeat that after me. The person who picks up the phone. Because why, Gary? Because they're your new best friend. Because, because A, they're available. B, it's their job. C, no one shows them any respect. They are treated rudely all day long because most people are trying to rush and brush past them to get to the boss. Uh huh. I, I built my entire career on the back of relationships and rapport that I developed with assistants, period, at full stop. Yep. I would call these people and say, hey, I don't know who you are. I don't even know your name, but holy crap, you probably beat out 50, 100 people to get that gig, to sit on the desk and be the assistant to so-and-so. I so admire the body of work. I'm calling, and by the way, here's who I am. Here's why I'm calling. I don't have any favors to ask of you. I do have a question, if you could be my three-minute mentor, but I also wanna know a little something about you because I'm amazed. Like, what's your trajectory? You're sitting on a producer's desk. Do you want to be a producer, an agent, a casting director? What do you want to be when you grow up in the business? But you, I, you, you must be awesome because I know how many people want to get in the door and you got in and you're learning the business from the inside out. So anyway, I'll stop boring you. But the thing is this, I don't want to talk to your boss. I want to be really clear. I want to talk to you because you have a unique perch, a unique perspective. 
You sit in the middle of all the information, all the calls, all the meetings, all the traffic in and out of that office, all the projects that are in development, all the things that are going into production. You're hearing all of it. You know what they're looking to develop and not looking to develop. And why? And <clears throat> I'm just a turnip that just fell off the truck. Yes, I've written several scripts. Uh, the one that I am most uh, ebullient about is my most recent one that I've I'm, I, I've just finished it, but I'm not asking to send it to you. I'm not asking you to spend hours of your life reading my work because you don't know me. But the, I just wanted to say that, set the context, like this is why I'm calling you. I'm not just calling strangers. I'm calling people mm -hmm. that I feel real kinship with. Like I admire and aspire to walk where you've been as a company. Yeah. And then you are as integral to that company. I know. I mean, it's like you have access to everybody. So I want I want to see it through your eyes. And I have a couple of questions and I don't want to take up much time. So would it be OK if I asked you a couple of questions? And they're going to say, yeah, because you've just given them a promotion. You've you've given them a raise. Right. You've given them respect. And everybody says yes. And then it's and then it's easy street because. Once you've done that once, and then, you know what I used to do, I I'd go, I'd literally like three minutes, you know, like, hey, I've used up four minutes. I promised three. I lied to you in our first call. I am so sorry. <laughs> I, I'm going to call you back a week from today. And if, if you're free and if you have five minutes, four to five minutes, I'll expand the ask. Yeah, right. I would really appreciate that. But you, here's what you do. You're, you're being respectful. You're making them laugh. You're, you're being yeah. honest and maybe your, maybe your honesty is, Hey, I am nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof. Yeah. I'm stuttering because mm -hmm. I'm not good. I'm an introvert. I'm not good at calling people. This is awkward as hell. Get it out. Yeah. Feel. Um, here's what most creatives don't know. Writers mm -hmm. that they, they think they are subservient that, you know, there's, there's a gorilla with great value, and I'm just a little grain of sand with no meaning. Yeah. And you got it upside down. Mm -hmm. The upside down of it is, number one, uh, their job is to know you. Their job is to, you know, Hollywood uh, lives on a steady diet of hope and expectation of discovering the next great idea, not idea, story, yep. the next great script, the next great artist. Mm -hmm. You are the product, not the script. The artist is Ooh, value, good. Um, and and you can't hide behind a, a script cover, mm -hmm. and you can't hide behind an agent. Like what's going to create huge, ongoing, enduring success are direct relationships where people know, like, and care about you, and have a sense of your creative signature, your DNA, mm -hmm. and, and 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 they like you. And the only way they can like you is not because they know your agent. They can only like you if they like you. Right. Uh, so their job is to know people exactly like you. That's mm -hmm. what we all want. We want to be the ones to discover that next exciting opportunity. Mm -hmm. Number two, you know, look, they're all ambitious and they're young. You're talking to the person who answered the phone. They're not big. The bigger the success, mm -hmm. the more generous and open and available they tend to be. But wow. you start with the entry level person because their sure. nature uh, and their ambition and they know that their biggest currency is to know other talent, to know writers, directors, mm -hmm. producers, mm -hmm. you name it. So they they have a reason to want to know you every bit as much as you want to know them. Wow. wow. 
networking advice, folks. It's uh, from what I've learned from you and and other people. Yeah, your your net worth is your network, and you know, Gary, it's it's uh, it's amazing what what you've built from just caring about people, you know, and actually caring for you know people as a whole, not just because of who they are or what they've done, but because of their humanity, as you put it in your your byline here. Yeah. People are people are endlessly fascinating. Yeah, aren't they? I, I love it. So tell us about your your current project with the Creative Edge. How can people uh, find out more about that and what does it do? Well, uh, you know, I wrote that book that you talked about, Conquering Hollywood. It's available yeah. on Amazon. If you want to know, go deeper into networking, like how to do these things, that's in the book. So you yeah. can find that on Amazon. Um, easy enough. It's like ten bucks or some stupid. 50. I don't well, know. No, I paid 20 bucks for my copy. Oh, uh, we, I asked him to increase the price for Doug Crow. Um, so off the back of the book, I developed a masterclass because people who read the book and say, God, this is game changing. Right. Yeah. But they also, their nose is up against the glass. It's very personal. It's hard to see how do I apply all this for me? So I wrote a masterclass that, that really forces them. It's it, in, in a loving way. It's a, it's an exercise driven set of eight modules where by the end they've actually, because everyone's different, everyone's unique. No, no two creators are alike ever. Mm -hmm. And this gives you sort of your action set, your roadmap that you can say, Oh, Oh, those are the people. That's why this is the story. This is the conversation. This is, I mean, all the pieces now fall in place. Mm -hmm. well, there's the masterclass, but I'm not really selling that. It's on the web. It's like, you know, you could find it. Sure. But here's the, the, the what I realized is uh, I do these live group coaching sessions uh, several mm -hmm. times a month. People come into this live group. It's like dirt cheap. It's like 97 bucks a month. Oh, yeah. It's it's way too cheap for what you for the value. I can tell you that. Yeah, I know. But the, the idea is to is is a, because I I know from experience the, a group learning environment and it's not a huge mm -hmm. group, but it's, you know, relatively modest size group learning environment is where you get the fastest, greatest traction. It's better than one on one because now we're all learning together from all yeah. sorts of questions and points of view that you hadn't even thought of. Right. And um, so I do this, I do this, I get on Zoom just like this yeah. and um, a couple of times a month at least. And uh, people pay 97 bucks. They come, the calls are like, you know, I, 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 I don't run out of gas. So they're always at least a couple hours, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, the success stories that come out of it, the collaborations that come out of it, which is really fascinating. Mm -hmm. People teaming up and doing yeah. great stuff. Uh, so that's that's the thing. Honestly, if you ask me, what do I really care about? It's the live coaching where I can actually see measurable progress sure. uh, right. month, month to month, et cetera. So, that, you know, there's there's that. Um, I don't really have a link to offer, but. Well, I can put it in the notes later if you want me to. It's up to you. You know, if you want to get more people on there or not. I, yeah, I'll send you something. And, okay. uh, you know, they can, they can always, they can do that. That's probably the best. And, um, or they, you know, they can, they can always DM me on, on social. I'm pretty much the same handle on every platform, just yeah. at Gary W Goldstein. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link though, Doug. So okay. that's, that's the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm probably most keen on, mm -hmm. uh, as a way of interacting with, um, you know, with helping people and in, interacting with creatives, um, because I, 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 you know, what I don't do just to be completely transparent 
you know, I get a ton of people writing me, emailing or whatever on social, yeah. this, that, the other thing. And all they're all they're saying is, hey, you don't know me. Um, here's a log line. Here's a description. Will you read my script and will yeah. you produce it or will you represent me? And not, by the way, I don't represent anyone anymore. Right. Right. But will you produce my thing? And it's like, no, I well, I won't even read it most yeah. of the time. I'm just, you know, I just like I can't do that because there's hundreds of people asking. So many. Yeah. Um, so but I can coach those who are really committed and determined and want to turn a dream into something that's concrete and actionable. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and by the way, I got two, two things to say in closing. Um, number one, <clears throat> I used one of your lines uh, last week with a potential vendor who I was looking to, uh, one of my clients wants to, he's got to deal with publishing like 60,000 copies of his book. Um, big order wow. with a, 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 you know, an alliance partner. That's huge. And I'm looking for quotes, right? For to get all these things printed up. And uh, I sent him a quote, some other quotes of people I was looking at. And he said, well, if you're looking at those people, then, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have to reject working with you. <laughs> and so I used your line. I said, I respectfully reject your rejection. <laughs> I, was, I was just looking around. I won't look at anybody else. I want to work with you. You're the broker. You're the person's referral to me. I was just, it was a data point. It wasn't, I'm not shopping it out. I want to work with you. So he, he came back to me. Now, <laughs> that line, I know where that line came from. And in the last few minutes, if you wouldn't mind sharing how that, how you use that line, it's such a wonderful story. So I'd love to, I'd love you to share that. All right. Well, very, the short version is I, uh, one day an attorney called me and he said, I have a client who wrote a script. Mm -hmm. It's an adaptation of a little book. It's based on true events and it's called the Mothman prophecies. And he said, so here's the catch. The catch is that his agent, he had an agent, the writer had an agent, the agent had shopped this script mm -hmm. all over Hollywood and everybody had passed on it from little indie to major studio. And I said, well, that's, that's a dubious honor that you want me to read the script that everybody in the world has passed on. Um, and, and, um, but he, he had done this once before this attorney for a different client. And what happened in the previous instance was um, I said, you know, it's, it's actually really good. And I know everybody passed on, but if he'll change the title and do one minor rewrite, if he likes my notes for free yeah, yeah. and 90 days later, I sold it to Warner Brothers for a quarter million dollars. And then we got it produced. So the attorney, the attorney looked at me and went, you're the guy who takes the dead and brings <laughs> the original I zombie like, right here. I was like, no, don't, please, please, please don't just tag me with that reputation. Um, so he said, I said, OK, send it. So he sends me this script. I read it and it was like, damn, I've got, I have got to make this movie. Um, this movie was very um, it. It literally was like a smack in the face because uh, it, without going into detail, it was it, it brought me back to uh, what my what my world was following the unexpected death of my dad, who was my best friend. And it was uh, anyway. So I, emotionally, this script was like, oh, my God, this is the story of how I felt and an homage to my dad. I got to get it made. Yeah. All right. So everybody's passed on it. Great. So I'm, I, you know, same thing. I meet with the writer, good guy. Um, and I, and I, I, I literally found in the Hollywood creative directory, which is like, you know, an inch and a half thick, a directory of co production companies and yeah. studios. And I found one company, one credible company that had not seen the project. And it was a good, com good company. Uh, and why they hadn't seen it is like, I don't know, you know, one agent was feuding with one of their execs and was going to punish them by not showing the script, whatever. Some stupid 
thing. So I said, okay, I've got one buyer. That's good enough for me. So I send it to them. And you know how executives read it on the weekend. Yeah. You get the Monday morning call and it's usually a pass, right? So Monday morning comes, I get a call, but it's not one executive. I sent it to one executive, a, a, a woman, and I'm now on the phone. I pick up the phone and I say, hey, Bick, and it's, whoops, it's three people. Bick, her boss, and her boss's boss, who's the president of the company. Huh. And I'm like, oh, okay. what a surprise. Okay. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this can't be bad news. Yeah, the good news, uh, right? Right. I, unless they just, you know, three of them are saying you're excommunicated. Don't ever send us another script. So anyway, we're on the call and um, they go on and on. It's, you know, beautifully crafted. It's fascinating. I can't believe it's based on a true story. I'm totally yeah. intrigued, et cetera. And after all that ebullient, enthusiastic praise, the following line comes. So thanks for sending it over. It's going to be a pass. And I knew this was last man standing. Yeah. There's a long pause. And I just utter what comes to mind, which is, I really appreciate it, but I have to pass on your pass. And there was a, the, the gal that I, was on the phone, you, you sort of heard a little laughter in the background, like mm -hmm. nervous, nervous laughter, right? Like, yeah. can you do that? And I said, no, I, of course I can't do that. You guys are, you know, you do whatever you need to do. But here's what I would ask. We have a very respectful relationship. Mm -hmm. We've never made a film together, but we like each other. Okay. Do me the honor of giving me a face-to-face -face before you make that pass final. That's all I'm asking. Just give yeah. me a, give me my moment in court, not even a day. Yeah. And they said, okay. So I went over there on the Paramount lot. I took the writer and I knew, I mean, the writer was young and he was a little bit, um, let's just say he sat on the sofa and didn't say much. Uh, and I, I looked at these three, you know, we had the chit chat, social chit chat. We sit down. Calm but down. You, you told me on the way there, you had no idea what you were going to be saying yet. It well, like I actually, I remember I was, I was like at a stoplight and suddenly it dawned on me. Okay. What the hell have I just done? <laughs> what are you going to say? Like I'm, on, I'm on my way to like my own execution. Mm -hmm. They've read the script. They passed on it. What am I going to tell them? Yeah. You can't tell them how you're going to improve the script because they don't really care. Right. So what have I done? Anyway, we get there and we sit down and I look at these three people and it comes clear, clear you know, it's clear as the day what I got to do. So we settle down and I decide I'm never going to mention the script. I'm never going to say the title of the project. Yep. I'm going to look them in the eye. I'm going to talk very quietly and I'm going to tell him the truth. I'm going to tell him when I read this, this was my experience. And I segued very quickly after a minute intro into telling them a short version, a 10, 12, whatever minute version of the story of my dad and our uh, love and our friendship and what happened when this man who'd never been sick a day in his life simply didn't wake up on his birthday and the crack in the universe mm -hmm. that was the experience of my, not just myself, but my mother, my brother, you know, and like what, what were the next 18 to 24 months like this intensity mm -hmm. of um, the world literally inverting itself. And um, yeah, I was walking into worlds and having somewhat paranormal experiences like we yep. 
experience in the Mothman prophecies. And I said, look, this took me to my knees. This script is very powerful. I can't imagine a writer, I mean, a, a, a director. I can't imagine um, a producer. I can't imagine an audience member or an actor mm -hmm. who's not going to understand. Look, you don't have to have lost someone to understand the depths of pain and despair. It's, it's like hardwired into the animal. Yeah. So this is a story that's going to move people globally. Let me please tell the story of my dad. And that's it between those script covers. And they huddled and they came back and they said, you know, we're going to change our minds. We're going to say yes. Wow. Um, and, and, and so the rest is the rest, you know, we, yeah. we, we, we did a rewrite, of course, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah. you know, I mean, it really was a, a sort of a seminal moment, not obviously for that film, because I'm very, very, God, if, you know, it's like, it, I'm so proud of that film and so glad it got made and so appreciative yeah. that they let me, let it, let it be made. Um, you know, I think I'll, in this and every other lifetime, I'll always be glad that I got to do that as sort of connective yeah. tissue and, and closing, the, closing the loop, so to speak. But, yeah. but the fact that, you know, look, we, we are, and, and this is true of every, every goddamn human being on the planet, Doug, you know this, I know this, like, we are so much more powerful than we ever dare imagine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And if you, if you, if you, the more you speak from that place, from your gut, not your head, not this yep. thing, mm -hmm. if you speak from the heart and the viscera and the gut and you tell your truth, you become a leader and you, yeah. you, you take people on a journey. Um, so it's one thing to say, I got the, you know, I've got the greatest, story ever yeah. you know like yeah that's nice you're the artist you go deep you tell me why how you're connected to it why it's so powerful mm -hmm. hear the truth you tell people that you you're gonna go places wow on that note we gotta we gotta close out this wonderful wonderful chat my friend um so many valuable lessons here from networking and passion and purpose and and uh li living your truth i love that gary it's really good stuff uh, in the show notes, folks, if you want to get uh, get in touch with Gary and, and take your story and stuff to the uh, creative edge, um, we'll put that in those below and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, but Gary. I'll once again, thank you so much. I'd love to have you back on again. We got more 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 to chat about. We can we can go off topic and talk about something even more interesting than stories. Maybe I don't know. You got it. Anytime yeah. with you, Doug. I, I love our conversations. I adore you. I love what you're doing for these folks and. So, well, yeah. I got I forgot to say thank you. Remember how we I remember how I got started. Uh, I remember the first time we ever met. Yeah, well, excuse me, author your brand was your name. We actually did a book together first. Remember? <laughs> I forgot. You forgot about that, my friend. Yeah. 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 And uh, it was like, Doug, we can't scale this. Like, I don't know, I'm gonna do it anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it shows what a good businessman I am. <laughs> hey, no, no, you're right. I, I, my, I've been able to scale to, uh, you know, a decent level. I got like, you know, seven employees and all that stuff, but it's, it's not going to go to thousands of books. And I decided, I like it this way. Uh, I like doing twenty to fifty I, stories I, I, a year. You know. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't want a, a mega empire. 
But the thing yeah. is, you also can't, it's, I mean, you can measure revenue, you can measure number of employees, you can measure a lot of stuff. But yeah. what you can't measure is the impact of the work that you do in the world. Not just in terms of readership and yep. results, but like how you, how you alter the lives of the people who are becoming authors because of you. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I, um, last, last story I should just share with you, but, um, I talked to my business coach last year and he's listening to some of my phone calls. He said, yeah, you know, I'm this one guy, you're very enthused and excited. Was, he had a great conversation. The second one, you were, you sound like you're a little bit bored. Um, you weren't that interested. I said, yeah, the first guy had a really good idea. It was going to, you know, change the world. The second guy was, you know, he was on TV. He was just all about himself and his ego. I, I just didn't right. care. And he said, why'd you talk to the second guy then? I don't know. I needed the business. You know, he goes, well, if you stop talking to people that aren't in alignment with your vision, you'll make yep. more money. I'm like, I'm going to talk to like half as many people and double my business. He said, yes. He's my coach. I'm paying him money. I'm like, I'll do what you say. Business went up 300% that year when he told me that. Yeah. Is his so name Troy? Pardon me? Is his name Troy? No. no okay. Troy. Anyway, I like your business coach. He's very wise because that's yeah. absolutely true. But we all, I mean, we're all guilty of that when we're starting up a company. But yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah I, it's, it's, there's yeah. a bigger game to be played. So good for, for you. For sure. Yeah. But I always, I always enjoy our time together, Mr. Crow. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll have you back on soon. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Gary Goldstein, famous, yeah. infamous producer and storyteller. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on. Right. We'll talk to you be, later. Be well, my friend. All right. You got it. And we're out. Thanks so much. Don't forget to click below, subscribe, get some.